when Jesus was on the cross, okay, for those six hours on Friday, uh, from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon, Jesus was hanging on the cross. At 3 o'clock, he passed away. He died. And we know as Christians that was very important. Easter's also important, right? Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate that in two weeks. And, but we're, we're, get, we're looking at in this series the seven phrases, the seven words, what we call it crosswords, the words of Christ on the cross. There's seven phrases that Jesus spoke out while he's on the cross and what they really mean. I, I don't know if you knew it, but Jesus dying for us was a big deal. So we're looking at, well, what is the big deal of that? Uh, and so this morning is the word of victory. We're going to look at, now, here's the thing. We, we recognize that on Easter Sunday, that was a huge day of victory, right? I mean, that was, that's why we celebrate, because Jesus won. He was victorious, yet on the cross, he won as well. He wasn't defeated on the cross. He won a huge victory for us, and today we're going to look at what that is. You know, throughout history, there have been moments where people have made statements of victory that were huge that we still talk, talk about today. One of those was when Neil Armstrong and his crew landed on the moon, right? And, and what was his famous statement? The eagle has landed. What does that mean? It means that the lunar module named the eagle landed safely on the moon. I mean, that was huge. Think about it. That, pl that planet, the moon that's up there, we actually had people go there and walk around on it. That was a big victory. There's been others throughout history, but there's one statement that tops every other statement of victory. And it's when Jesus was on the cross with his outstretched arms, he cried out, it is finished. That was the most important victory statement. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute. He died, didn't he? Yeah, that's why it's such a victory. Here's what it says in John chapter 19. We're going to dive in. Now, just a warning, there's a lot of scripture today because just like all the other weeks, there's a lot of theology that comes with it. Okay, so this one gets a little deep. And that's why, I, I, and it's very important. This is probably one of the biggest deals we're going to look at. And it's important to understand and unpack this and to know exactly what the Bible says about all of it. So start at John 19. Knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. We, we unpacked that one last week. Okay, and uh, he said a jar of vin wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now, here's today's. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, the book of Mark and Matthew, they both say that at that moment, Jesus cried out. But John tells us what he cried out. He said, it is finished. It is done. And at that moment, when he said that, I, I can imagine the Roman soldiers. They just nailed him to the cross and, and hung him up there, right? They're thinking, good. This radical pain is now dead. We don't have to deal with him anymore, right? The religious leaders thought, oh. 
this guy who's been a real menace to our religion, who's been trashing us this whole time, we got rid of him. Finally, we can live in religious peace. The disciples, though, those that were following him, they've been promised the Messiah, the Savior, the kingdom. Jesus was bringing this new kingdom to the earth. They go, what happened to all that? So this dream, this vision that Jesus painted them, they probably thought, oh, bummer. It's gone. And the devil, he's probably saying, hallelujah. No, he doesn't say that. But he's probably thinking, good, I finally killed the Son of God. But in the back of his mind, he's going, um, I better not celebrate too much because, after all, he's the Son of God. But at that moment, we imagine he was celebrating. But the thing is this. Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. Because we know he wasn't, right? Though his body died at that moment, we know that three days later, on Sunday morning, it, he came back to life. So we know he wasn't done. It wasn't talking about that. And obviously, when he said it is finished, we know that, well, his pain was over. His pain was finished. His body was finished. His embarrassment, his humiliation, his grief, all that, it was finished. It was done at that moment. However, there was so much more. Look what, look what Jesus says in John 4.34. He said, my food is to do what God wants. He is the one who sent me. And he says this, I must finish the work that he gave me to do. So when Jesus on the cross declared, it is finished, what he was really saying is, I'm done with what I came to do. I finished the job, the task. Everything the Father told me to do, it's done and it's complete. And so there's a, the Greek word for that, we're going to unpack this word today, is the word I have put this in your notes there. It's tetelestai. That's a Greek word that simply, it, it's one word that means it is finished or it is done. It is complete. And so we're going to unpack that today and look at, okay, if it's done, and if Jesus finished the work, what all was that, and what did Jesus accomplish on the cross at that very moment when he died? So, let's unpack this a little bit, and look at that word tetelestai. It has several meanings, and we're going to look at each one. First of all, that word tetelestai was used oftentimes by artists. After they had painted a picture, they look back, the picture that they just completed and they painted and they go, Tetelestai, it means it's a perfect picture. I did a really good job painting this picture. But it's also a word that a slave might have used after the master had given him instructions on here, here's, here's the job I want you to do today. And at the end of the day, they would finish the job. They'd go to the master and they would say, Tetelestai. In other words, I completed the work, the job that you gave me to do. So in other words, Jesus did both. At that moment, Jesus said, Father, I finished the work, the job, and it's a masterpiece. So what does that mean for us? Number one, fill this in, in, in your notes. Jesus did for us, he fulfilled the scriptures. 
At that very moment, when Jesus said, it is finished, he fulfilled so many scriptures from the Old Testament. We talked about this last, last couple weeks. That just Jesus appearing on the earth, when he did, where he did, how he did, and to whom he did, all these things and everything he did, there's over 380 prophecies in the Old Testament of what, what Jesus would do and what he'd be like. But there also were promises of what he would do when he did show up. So those prophecies also included some of those prophe- uh, promises. Luke 24 says this. Now, before we get to the verse, let me set this up. This, this discussion, this next statement Jesus gave was after he had resurrected. There was 40 days uh, from the time Jesus rose again until he went back into heaven. During that time, he would just appear sometimes to his disciples. Okay, If you read the end of each of the Gospels, it shows you that. And the picture you get, and I, I believe it 100%, is that Jesus resurrected both physically, he had a physical body, but it was also a spiritual body. He wasn't bound by physics, okay? And it's the kind of body, the Bible tells us the kind of body that you and I are going to get someday when we get to heaven. Though it will be physical, it's also spiritual. Spiritual. And what happened was there are times when the disciples were together in a room. Doors were shut, windows were shut because they're sort of hiding out. And poof, Jesus just appears. Like, how'd you get in here? Well, because he's spiritual. And then, whoop, he's gone. Where'd he go? I don't know. That happened multiple times. Well, one time he had a couple, there was a couple disciples of Jesus, we don't know which ones, were walking along the road, the road to Emmaus, and they were bummed out because they, they thought that Jesus was gone yet. This is before they had seen him. And they're walking along, they're talking to each other. Oh, man, I'm so disappointed. What are we going to do? So Jesus just whoop, appears right there with them. And they're, Whoa, who are you? And they didn't recognize him. So he's talking to him, listening to him. They get to, they get to the house of one of the guys, and they're sitting there over dinner. And, and here's what Jesus says. He said to them in Luke 24, This is what I told you while I was still alive. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds, catch this, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. In other words, that's now their job, he did his part and then it says beginning at Jerusalem. So at that moment, and then they go, the Bible says they, it's, the master, it's the same, it's Jesus, and he's been here the whole time talking to us. And today, because of what Jesus did at that moment, he opened their eyes and their minds so they could see and know and understand the same thing is for us. Some of us, we need Jesus to open our minds to understand really what happened in his death and resurrection. So hopefully today does that for some of it. He, he fulfilled scripture. It was a big deal at that moment. It wasn't just that, oh, Jesus is dying and he's, he's about to die and here he said a bunch of things before he died and that was it. Oh yeah, by the way, he rose again. It's, it's really huge what, hap- what he said and what he did on the cross. All right, so that's the first one. The second thing to tell us, die talks about is that it's like a judicial 
kind of a statement. In its, they used it in the courts when someone had a prison sentence that was commuted. And it simply means that justice has been served. Okay? Tetelestai. You, you've, you, 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 were in, you finished your 10 years that you were uh, assigned to be in prison. Whatever. It, it's been commuted. It's been done. You've served your time. So, number two. This is a big one. Fill this out. Because of that, Jesus satisfied the law. Okay? How, how do you know when you have messed up and, and that you have committed a crime well because there's a law that tells you if you do this it's a crime right and that so that's what the old testament law was about and so romans 8 talks about it It says this the law of moses could not save us what was the law of moses well it's it's genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy and in that law that was the uh we call, today we call it the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament are, are the rules and the laws that the Israelites lived by during their day. Okay, it's about 613 of them to be exact. Uh, it says uh, because of the sinful nature. In other words, you couldn't, the law couldn't save you. It could just tell you when you did wrong, right? But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful, God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this, so here, here, here's the big part, okay? Follow this. He did this so that the requirements of the law would be fully accomplished for whom? For us. He accomplished them for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the, spi follow the Spirit. He did it for us. Now, Here's the thing. Jesus was the only person. Remember, we talked a couple weeks. Last week, we talked about the fact that he's 100% human, 100% God. So as a human being, he lived a, very, a perfect life. No flaws, no mistakes, no sin. Never did anything wrong, bad, or anything he regretted, unlike all of us, right? And he became perfect for us because of our imperfection. Because we all fall short of everything. Now here's the thing. The law was given, very clearly, to let people know when they did something wrong. The law couldn't save you. There's nothing about the law that saved anybody, but it all pointed towards Jesus. When Jesus said, he came and said, okay, I finished the law for you. It's like today. You don't get any medal you don't get any awards if at the end of the year you look back over the year and you didn't break any of the laws okay you don't get a reward for not breaking them you just get a penalty for breaking them right same thing here except these laws were a lot stricter and had to do with our everyday life more than what many of our laws are today and it says in colossians 2:14 it says he canceled the record that contained the charges against us, the charges of us breaking the law. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In other words, it's done, it's taken care of, it's paid for. And it's almost like, you know, you, you, you have your visa, your MasterCard, Discover card, you have that bill. And it's due in five days and you decide, I, I, I'm about to write out a check to pay that bill or transfer from your bank account, whatever it is. 
I'm going to pay that bill. And just before you're about to write the check to make that payment, you get a call from Visa, MasterCard, whoever it is, and said, hey, just to let you know, your balance is zero. It's already been paid. Now you're thinking spam, right? <laughs> All that. But this is real. This is what Jesus did. The penalty that you owe, the amount, the balance you owe for the sins that you have committed, which is all of us for a lot of things, Jesus took it and paid for it. The balance is zero. When he said it's finished, he meant he paid it all in that moment. He satisfied the law. We'll get to the paid part in just a little bit. But it says this, um, in, in Romans 10.4, Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him may be made right with God. In other words, at the moment of Jesus' death, the law for us as believers stopped. Many Jews still observe it, but, but that, that would be because they haven't believed in Jesus yet. Jesus came to fulfill it. He didn't, he didn't just say, okay, the law doesn't count anymore, just take it away. He said, no. I've completed it. It's done. I'm the only person who's ever followed the law perfectly, completely. So, therefore, he, he, God, Jesus gave us two other laws, right? Anybody know what they are? We're to love God and love people. Love our neighbors just as Christ has loved us. Those are the laws. Now, it's interesting because... Uh, during that time, you might say, well... Weren't the Ten Commandments laws as well? Yes, they were. Are those done? No, they're not. Why? Because there's three kinds of laws that we find in the Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament. You, we have the moral law, which would be the Ten Commandments. Those still matter. Okay, don't put those away. They, though, if you look at those... Five of them have to do with how you demonstrate your love for God. Five of them have to do with how you demonstrate your love for others. So they, they still count. But then you have the ceremonial laws, and then you also have the legal laws in how to live your everyday life, like your lifestyle. And Jesus said, you know what? Those laws don't apply because I have I finished them all. I followed them perfect. I didn't break any one of those. So I now have completed them for you. He took care of it for each one of us. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the two laws that you follow now, <laughs> love God and love others as Christ has loved you. I love what it says in Romans 15, 18, or 5, 18. It says this up here on the screen. It says, here it is in a nutshell. Obviously, the message paraphrase. Just as one person did it wrong and got, got, us all in this got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. Amen. That's what he did. He, and then uh, the, another word for tetelestai sort of follows this is sort of like a sacrificial term like the sacrifice that he paid, but it's also a business term. In other words, when you had a loan and you finished paying that loan, you would get a statement from the bank and it would read, Tetelestai, your loan is paid in full. 
So that's what Jesus did. Number three, he paid my penalty. The penalty that we owe for our sins, he became the spotless sacrifice for it. Colossians 1.14 says this, God's son paid the price to free us, which means that our sins are forgiven. Now, it's interesting, he's, it, he didn't just pay for some of them. You might think, well, you know, it probably wasn't that big of a deal. I got a whole bunch of little, little sins. <laughs> I got a bunch of little stuff that I did, and it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't mess the world up too much. So I, I'm pretty sure he took care. But, you know, I got, a, I got a few of them that really, really messed up my life, messed up other people's lives, and I'm so sorry, and I regret it so much. And God says, that's okay. Jesus paid for those two. Every one of your sins have been paid in full. Like, a, say, for instance, you go to pay your bill. Okay? You have an electric bill due, FPL. And they didn't call you and say it's paid in full, so you got to pay it. And you write out the check for it, whatever, however you do it, and you, you, you finish, you made it before the deadline, you send it in, and, and now you, you don't think about that anymore, right? You, you paid the full amount, you made it before it was due, and now it's out of your mind. Okay, I paid this month's bill. Now, next month comes around, you do it again, right? But you don't worry about that one anymore. Same thing that Jesus did for us. You shouldn't worry about, you shouldn't be obsessed about, you shouldn't be re regretful and, shame, and shamed and, and grieving for the things that you've done in the past when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior because they are done. They're paid in full. They're taken care of. And when you come to the Father and say, God, remember that I'm still feeling bad about this, he goes, well, what are you talking about? I paid that. Why are you still worried about that one? Taking care of that one. It says this in Hebrews 7 and also 10. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Now that, now that sins have been forgiven, there's no need to sacrifice, to offer any more sacrifices. See, Jesus did away with that old system. Up until that point, the Jews still would bring annually come to, uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple. They would bring animals or they buy them there. It, it could be a dove, it could be a goat, it could be you know, a bunch of different kinds of animals. But the best one, was a pure, white, spotless lamb. That was the premier sacrifice you could bring to have that offered and killed as a sacrifice. But remember, I don't know, you might remember this story about when John the Baptist, who came just before Jesus, they were cousins, and he was in the wilderness baptizing people and preaching, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking up that one day and John stops what he's doing. And he looks, he says, look everybody, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. What does that mean? He knew ahead of time that Jesus represented that pure, spotless, white, perfect Lamb that was going to be sacrificed and killed and put on the cross to pay for all of our sins once and for all. No need for any more sacrifices. It's done. 
It's taken care of. That's what Jesus did when he paid for all of it. All right. Next word that to die, next thing that means, it, it is a, a battle cry. Okay, it's like, I won. We, we, you're defeated. You're done. I've won the battle for this. And it's the, really, it's the battle cry of the ages. And there's two implications of this, okay? And uh, one of them, we're going to, next two points are going to be one and two of this victorious battle cry. Number, number four is this, that because of this battle cry to Telestai, he said he conquered sin and death. Okay? He conquered sin and death. In other words, he broke their fear and grip that sin and death had in their lives. Romans 5, 17 says this. The sin of one man, Adam, caused the death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness, okay, that's what happens when we get saved, we receive the gift of righteousness, we live in triumph in victory over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. That's why we are in the middle of what we call 21 days of victory right now. Many of you are participating in this. You're getting the uh, daily texts, devotionals that lead up to us celebrating this victory on Easter Sunday. That's what Jesus did for us. And then Romans 6.10 says, When Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin, one time, enough for all time. What all this means is that even though you and I still struggle with sinning, at least I do. Any, any man, amens? Not for me, but for you. <laughs> Amen, Pastor, you really got a big thing going. Anyways, okay. We all struggle with this, right? But what this means is that because Jesus Christ died, he won the battle over sin and over death. It means that you now have the ability, the supernatural ability, to say no to the temptation of sin. See, sometimes it feels like, I, I just, I, I can't handle this. I can't do this. It just, this temptation is just overwhelmingly. But in reality, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a way out. He gives you that power. He gives you the ability to, to, to step back and say, no, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do what's wrong. I'm going to do what's right, no matter how it feels in your life. It is so important. Because many of us live in that, we live in that constant tension of, boy, I hope I'm not tempted with that again. Oh, it's, it's got a hold of me. It's, got, it's too much for me. And Jesus says, no, don't look. I've given you. But you have to say no yourself. You have to say yes to Jesus and no to the temptation that he's already given you the ability to have victory over. Because if you're in Christ, you have supernatural, Holy Spirit-filled ability to live in Christ and to be victorious. Romans 6.10 says, When Christ died, he died to defeat the power of sin one time, enough for all time. For all of us. I think I read that already, didn't I? Sounded familiar. 
Anyways, <laughs> Hebrews 2.14 says this. Jesus became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die. Remember, we talked last week that Jesus was both 100% human, 100% divine. He was God. So it, it says that he, uh, by being born in human form, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Now, folks, listen carefully. Very, very important, next minute or so. You are going to struggle and be tempted with the fear of death. I don't want to die. And you're going to be faced in life with all sorts of voices and all sorts of situations that you're going to have to choose. Am I going to live in self-preservation or am I going to live in victory over the death and the fear of death? Because here's the thing. When we live in faith and we live in victory over death, then you can say, you know what? I, I don't care. Either God's going to save me in this situation and he's going to keep me alive or... <laughs> If he doesn't, I win. Right? Can you really live that way? You can. Nothing in this world can kill you. It can kill your body. But guess what happens to you? Hallelujah, we go home. Praise Jesus. We get to go to our final destination to be in heaven with Jesus forever and ever and every one of those. Now, now whether... That's you individually going or whether we go together. <laughs> you know what? The older I get, and yes, I am, the more this is coming into perspective because the reality that someday this body's either going to die and I'm going to depart and go to heaven or Jesus is coming back and we all get to go together. I'm going, hey, bring it on. Bring it on. Therefore, I don't have to live in fear of things that kill the body. Are you with me? Doesn't mean living carelessly. It means you live in faith that God's got it one way or the other. And you're in his hands. And the only reason that happens <laughs> is because of what Jesus did on the cross. When he, when he said it's finished, he won the victory over sin and death and one of the things we do that symbolizes that whole process is we call it baptism water baptism when you get saved we say okay now it's time to get baptized and maybe some of you are there you made a decision for Christ recently and and it's time for you to get baptized we're going to do that in several weeks right after um, Easter but basically baptism is when you go under the water which symbolizes the death of Christ and your own personal death, the death to your old self. And when you come up out of the water, it symbolizes the resurrection, the new life of Christ, and yours. The victory over that death. It says this in Romans 6. By our baptism, then we were buried with him and shared his death. 
in order that just as Christ was raised from death by, his, by the glorious power of the Father, so also we might live a new life. That's what Jesus did for us. That was the battle cry of victory over sin and death. But the other one is number five, is the battle cry that he defeated the devil. He defeated sin and death, but he also defeated the devil at that very moment. Now, here's the thing. We, whether, I know we can't see this, and sometimes we can feel it. Sometimes people get insight into this. But even though we struggle here in this world right now, the real battle that is happening in the world from the very beginning is not just a battle of good versus evil, which we can see happening right now, right? I mean, it's a huge battle going on on the earth. But it's a manifestation of what's happening in the unseen, the spiritual realm. God and his army, the angels, are at war with the devil and his army, the bad angels. God have all sorts of names for them, but they're not good. Okay, And so there's this battle going on, and we know that God already won. All right, he's already won that victory. On the cross and the resurrection, that victory's already been won. So the armies of heaven are fighting as victors, and the armies of darkness are fighting as losers. But they're still fighting, okay? They're still going, ah, we're going to get all we can while we can, right? Kind of a thing. And, uh, and the, the thing is, when Jesus said it is finished, I believe, Many scholars believe, we don't know this for sure, but we just sort of speculate that the devil was right there. He was in the crowd. You've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you know, this hooded dude looking like the devil going around and antagonizing people. Crucify him, crucify him. Well, little did he know, maybe he did, that he was playing right into God's hands. And when Jesus hung on the cross and he died, the devil's probably going, yes. We killed the Son of God. We did it. He's dead no more. And within a few hours, he hears a rumbling. He hears a shaking. And in the midst of the party that was happening in the evil world, I can imagine this unified, uh-oh, <laughs> something's happening. Maybe we didn't kill him after all. And sure enough, on Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the dead, and the devil knew at that very moment because of what happened on the cross. When Jesus said, it's finished, he realized it meant him. He's finished. He's done. In Colossians 2.15, it says this, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin, and he openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Then in 113 it says, God has freed us from the power of darkness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the power of darkness and the devil has nothing on you. And brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. So you think, well, yeah, but... I, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up with, with what I'm feeling. Why, why do I still struggle with what I think is the devil doing things in the world and in my life? Well, here's the thing. He's, his effect, his power has been taken away. There's three things the devil can do in your life. 
He can lie to you. You ever have lies come into your mind going, that ain't right. That doesn't, that's not what the Bible says. That's a lie. He, he put it there. The second thing is he continues to accuse you. You've committed a sin. You've done something wrong. You believe in Jesus Christ. You know it's forgiven, covered by the blood, yet it keeps coming up. Why? Because the devil is going to do everything he can to still try to keep that alive. And all you have to do is say, devil, I don't know what you're doing, but I just want to remind you that one's already covered by the blood. It's done. And he tempts us. And he won't stop. He'll do that till the day you die. Well, then what, what's the deal? But that's the only power he has over you. Okay? It's sort of like an, an example might be if you decide to go fishing offshore, out in the Gulf. You're out there and, and you're fishing in about 50, 60 feet of water. And all of a sudden, you catch, you catch this 32-inch black grouper. Oh. And you pull him on the boat, and you take him off the hook, and he's flopping around there in the boat, and, and he's, all he can do is he's flopping around, and you're standing back a little bit, and, and you realize that, that that fish has no more fish power. There's no more fishness in him. That's a word. It is now, okay? He can't do any more fish things on the boat. And as long as you keep your distance and you just watch him flop around, there's going to be a time not too far down the road, he's going to stop flopping. He's done. He's dead. However, if you try to get close and you try to manipulate him, you try to grab a hold of him, he still can do things. He's got some spikes on his spine. You know, he's got gills and he's got all fins and all this stuff that can still poke you, right? I learned in first service that grouper don't have teeth, so he can't bite you, but he can do other things. I accidentally use that. Um, but yet, if you stay back and you just let him flop around, he might be distracting for a while. He might, you know, mess you up if you let him, but he's done. No more fish. Nowhere in the Bible are you told to fight the devil. What are you told? Because the devil is real, because he's still at work doing weird things and trying to mess you up, you are to put on the armor of Christ. You are to take on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, the, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and stand your ground and say, devil, you've got nothing on me? Get back. And you live that way. You don't give him any more attention than what he needs. That's the problem with many of us today. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. Oh, he's got me so oppressed. Why? He's got nothing on you. You live in victory. You grab a hold of what Jesus did on the cross. He has freed us from the power of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of his son. Can I get an amen? I just had one. It's good stuff, folks. It should change how you live your lives, the attitude you have in every way. So to tell us die means it's done. It's done. Your salvation has been paid for. Your way to get to heaven has already been taken care of. 
It happened on the cross. That's why there's a difference between religion and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which is Christianity, our faith. Religion, all other religions in the world are still trying to do what it takes to get to God and to get to heaven, whatever their heaven is. Christianity, a relationship with God would say, no, Jesus already did everything that needs to be done. He's done it all. When he said it is finished, he finished it. There's only one thing left to do. Only one thing, and this is your turn, is for you to believe and you accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not just think about it, not just, oh, that's good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. No, it's, wow. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for going through everything you did for me. I believe and I embrace and I accept that forgiveness and the victory that you've given me because of your death. We haven't even got to the resurrection yet. We're going to do that on Easter Sunday. But just the death of Christ, I believe in that. And Jesus, I, would, I want that. I, I want you to come and live in my life. I accept that forgiveness and I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. Then, and only then, can you live in the victory that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ.